0: This sermon, 10,000 Reasons," was preached by Derek Overstreet on Sunday, August twenty seventh, two thousand twenty three, at Sovereign Grace Church. Open your Bibles to Psalm one thirty eight. And this morning, I'm gonna. In just a moment, I'm gonna have you stand. We'll read, but I want you to remain standing when we're done reading. Um, I'm actually gonna have you stand even as we open the sermon. So don't. Don't plan on sitting down just because we're done with the text. We're creatures of habit. Uh, Remain standing until uh, I let you know. Psalm 138. Would you please stand with me? David writes this. He says, I give you thanks, O Lord with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called you, you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Let's pray. Lord, strengthen, strengthen our hearts with your word that we might bless you magnify you glorify you with our lives in Jesus name Amen I want us to read something together these are probably familiar lyrics Matt Redman A decade or so ago, I think, wrote a song called 10,000 Reasons. I'm not going to sing it, (laughs) but instead I'm going to ask us to read it as a congregation. Not the entire song, but the course and one verse in particular. So I think it will be up there excellent. Listen to these words. Declare them with me, church. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like never before, O my soul. I'll worship your holy name. You're rich in love and you're slow to anger. Your name is great and your heart is kind. For all your goodness, I will keep on singing 10,000 reasons for my heart to find. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul. Worship his holy name. Sing like never before, O my soul. I'll worship your holy name. You may be that I did not realize it would be that hard when you want to sing it. If you know the song, you wanted to go, didn't you? I certainly did. In Psalm 138, we encounter a man whose heart is filled with thankful praise to God. One might say David is enthralled. He, he is consumed with thankful praise to God. That's very clear As the psalm opens up, you'll notice in verse 1, I give thanks, O Lord, and he says, With my whole heart, before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple. David opens this. It's really a declaration. He says, I, I worship God with my whole heart. In other words, his heart is not undivided as this psalm begins. He is not preoccupied with his troubles. He, he is not thinking about his business affairs. David says, I come to the Lord and I hold nothing back from him. When we read that he, that he gives thanks with his whole heart, he means His mind, his affections, his expressions, his entire being is wrapped up in praising his God. In fact, this is true privately or before a watching world that idolizes people in power, worships every kind of pagan God, and lives with an exceeding disdain for God's people, when David there says, I, 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 wor- I sing your praises before the gods. That, that, that there's a lot of different meanings that some have discussed, but, but I think that is the ultimate meaning. David doesn't care. <laughs> David worships his God with his whole heart, even before the pagan gods and idols of the culture. David doesn't care what people think about him. David, does, David doesn't care what he looks like to others. And it doesn't really matter where he is. He does not have to be at the tabernacle to worship God. He does not need to be at church on Sunday morning. He simply looks toward the temple. David is a man here consumed with gratitude, grateful praises for his God. He was a grateful man, determined to worship God. In fact, some, some translations there, uh, the ESV says, uh, I give thanks, but some translations begin, and there's this pattern three or four times, I will give thanks, I will bow down, I will sing your praises, I will, I will. This is a, a man determined to worship God. And And I I start out by just bringing some emphasis there. One, because the text does. But two, I think many times we can mischaracterize David. I think it's... I think oftentimes people label David as an old and fragile soul. A man who was depressed and discouraged. He 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 had this this weird love hate relationship with God, and and I think that that some do that put put that label on David, put David in that box because it somehow gives us a license. It gives us a license to doubt and discourage and rage at God about our own lives, and we simply say, "Well, look at David. It's in the Bible." But that was not David at all. (laughs) That was not David at all. Indeed, David lived honestly before God. Have we not seen that over this summer? The Psalms are David's honest assessment about how he's feeling. But it's also his honest assessment about who he is. And more importantly, who God is. And that's why. That is why, while David lived honestly before God, Every moment of honesty ends in praise. If you want to know what David was like, look no further than Psalm 138. If you want to be like David, look no further than Psalm 138. I personally believe that, that if the song we just read together, 10,000 Reasons, if that, would have, if that would have been playing over Sirius XM back in David's days, I think he would have loved the song. 10,000 reasons. I think you would have found David wandering the palace, belting out the lyrics. 10,000 reasons and more to sing your praises, oh God. Not because he loved the catchy tune, but because David indeed had 10,000 reasons and more to offer his whole heart in grateful praise to God. David had so many reasons to sing God's praises with thankfulness. And listen, make no mistake, Psalm 138 is not, is, it is not empty adoration. Today, this morning, this sermon is not a pep rally. <laughs> Whatever David's 10,000 reasons were, Psalm 138 reveals three of them in particular to us. And they're for us, just as they were for David. A man whose life was so difficult, a man who had so many hardships, and yet he can pen Psalm 138. Well, there's some good reasons for that, and they're your reasons as well. So here is my hope and prayer for our time together today. Whatever reasons we think we have not to sing God's praises, the reasons of Psalm 138 will fill our hearts with grateful praise. Whatever reasons you have this morning to doubt God, to not sing his praises, to wonder and question, do you love me, Lord? Do you know, God? The reasons here in Psalm 138 should chase those out of your soul. And just as David said in verse 2, strength, or in verse 3, strengthen your soul. Give you boldness and courage to walk by faith in gratitude no matter no matter your situation. As we begin here if it seems like okay We've heard this sermon the last 10 weeks. (laughs) It's true. We we are hammering the same nail all summer. You know why? Because that's what the Psalms does. It hammers that nail of, of reorienting, if you will, reorienting our thoughts and our affections and our hope in God. Every psalm. Every psalm bids us, take a look at yourself and look up at God and see what He has done for you, and now rejoice. Praise Him. From Psalm 1 to Psalm 150 that we will look at next week. It is, in one sense, the same message. Trust and hope in God, for He is able and worthy. And listen, we need that, don't we? Every Sunday, we need that because we go out there. And we are trampled on. <laughs> we go out there and, and, and we are barraged with so many things that make it so easy for us to, to doubt God, so easy for us to, to fall into condemnation because, because we're so given over to our sins so easily. We need to have our thoughts every Sunday enlarged about our Lord and Savior. We need it. We need the hammer that beats The nail of the goodness and loving kindness and persevering power and eternal faithfulness of our Lord and Savior toward us. We're hammering that nail this morning in three ways. Three points for those of you who love to take notes. David's going to show us that he praises God for who he is. He praises God for what he does, and he praises God for what he will do. Our first point this morning... Praise God for who he is. Notice verse 2. He says, I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your... word." David's thanksgiving, his praises are a response to two aspects of God's character. You probably noticed them in there. The first one is his loving kindness. David says, and I give, I give thanks to your name for your steadfast love. The original word there is, you know it, said. it. It's the Hebrew word for God's loyal, covenantal love. In fact, David used the same word. Look down in verse 8. He uses the same word when he says, your steadfast love has said o oh Lord endures forever so David begins by by reminding himself by declaring that God is a God of perfect unfailing unconditional love when we say God is love we are not just saying he is kind he is merciful he is gracious he is all of that, but we are saying that he is committed to loving his people infinitely and endlessly. God's love for David and God's love for you never wavers. It never weakens. It it never wa- It never wavers nor weakens because God Himself never changes. So David is declaring something about the character of God here, that that as he considers it, as he he muses upon it, as he wonders at it, it moves him to sing praises with his whole heart. And so it should for us. (laughs) In Christ, the one we sang about this morning, God has lavished his Loving kindness on you. If you are here this morning, and you belong to Jesus by grace through faith, that that is a reality of God's has said to you. He has set his affections upon you. He is poured out his mercy and grace on you, and he is committed to you because his love for you, as David says, is steadfast. It is enduring. We heard it this morning, Romans eight thirty nine. Nothing, not your weak faith last week or your blatant sin this week, nothing can separate you from the love of God in christ Jesus that that's 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 what god's has said is that's the implications for you and I and is that not reason enough to stir uncontainable thanksgiving in our hearts it is god's Steadfast love, not reason enough to sing his praises and not worry about what anybody around us thinks. Is that not sufficient reason to walk out of here? No matter the song you were singing when you walked in, it might have been the bluegrass blues. But is Psalm 138 in these opening verses not enough? to move us to walk out of here with a song of victory in your heart and a smile on your face regardless of what you know is waiting out there. It is. David says, you bet it is. You bet it is. So he looks to God's loving kindness and then notice he, he talks about his, his faithfulness. His faithfulness, notice what it says. He says, I give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness, for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. The idea here, in fact, in some translations, it might just say truth. But the idea here when he he talks about God's faithful is that, that God is a God of truth. And because he is a God of truth... He is faithful to his character. He is faithful to his nature. He does not, he cannot act against it. He cannot lie. He always does what he says. And so when he says he has set his faith, his enduring love upon you, his steadfast love upon you, his has said, then it's true. It's not just true, it's truth itself. Because God is the God of truth and he is faithful to his words. His his promises to you always stand because he is devoted not only to you but to himself and to be devoted to himself means that he is devoted to his word because his word is an expression of himself. You, You know the When we say something sometimes and you want to go uh, and grab all those words and pull them back in, somebody needs to make an app for that. That never happens with God. God is faithful and true to his word that he has spoken. Oh, he speaks to us and In many ways, doesn't he? The Bible says he speaks to us through creation. In a sense, he speaks to us in a conscience. He has spoken to us in Christ Jesus. We have the Bible, though, that he, his written word, where he has spoken to us. And he will always be faithful to what he says. We actually get a profound We we, we get a glimpse of the profound nature of this in the second part of verse 2. Notice what he says. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. This This is a stunning statement. You have exalted above all... Well, we know he has exalted his name above all things. He's exalted his word above all things as well. Get the point. God has such a high estimation of his word that he regards it as he regards his name his word indeed expresses and helps us to understand his name that is who he is what he is like In essence here, in verse 2, David is saying that that God says, my name, my character, my glory, it's on the line through my word. If my word proves to be false, if I do not stand true to my word towards you, then I am false. I love what James Montgomery Boise says, it would be as if God is saying, I value my integrity above everything else. Above everything else, I want to be believed. Indeed, he does. Because when sinners like you and me come to believe in him, when we stand and take him at his word, even when the seas are roaring and the mountains are moving, he is magnified and glorified above all things. Listen, this is important. It's worth taking just a moment. That there is a tendency for us to diminish the value and the authority of God's Word for a lot of reasons, right? Whether, whether it, God's Word doesn't quite dovetail with our feelings on a matter, whether it doesn't speak to our circumstances as we had hoped, or perhaps we have allowed the culture creep to drown out the authority of God's Word. For for a lot of reasons, we can be guilty uh, of depreciating God's word in our lives. And it is always to our spiritual peril. I like what David Kidner says because it helps us to not worship God's word. He says, At the same time, while all that is true at the same time, Scripture does not encourage bibliolatry. In other words, we don't worship the Bible. We worship God, but the Bible is God's self-revelation. He reveals to us what He was like, and so we must regard the Scriptures not higher than God does, but as high as he does. And Psalm 138, 2 says, he regards his word as high as his name, and that's pretty high. How high do you regard God's word in your life, in your circumstance? I heard someone say that we need to listen to ourselves less and preach to ourselves more. And I believe that with all my heart. I, I believe with all my heart that the fruit of dwelling on the character of God, what David, how David has started this psalm out, that, that, react, that, that activity, dwelling on the character of God is a heart filled with thankful praise and worship that will transcend any circumstance you find. Why? Because God is that wonderful. He is that glorious. He is that satisfying. John Newton summed it up well. When I see thee as thou art, I'll praise thee as I ought. When I see thee as thou art, Lord, help us see you as you are in your word. And let the fruit be that we will then praise you as we should. So David gives reason number one for his wholehearted, thankful praise to the Lord unashamedly, unabashedly because of who God is. Here's some application for you. When was the last time you did a good study on the character of God? I encourage you, whether it was two months ago or it was two years ago, do it now. One of these pastors will help you with some good resources. But when we fix our eyes on the nature and character of God, there is is an unending fountain, a treasure that pours forth into our hearts and it gives way to Psalm 138, praise and worship. Second, he says, I praise God for what he has done. David has given praise to God for who he is and now he offers praise to God for what he has done. And what he has done, according to verse 3, he has answered David's prayers. Notice verse 3, on the day I called you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. David praises God with a heart of thanksgiving because God answered his prayers. Reason number one would have been enough. Reason number one could carry through eternity. But David goes on. He has 10,000 reasons and more. And he's only on number two. And he says, when I cried out to you, you heard me, and you gave me boldness. That's the idea there in in verse 3. My strength of soul, you increased. You, You gave me a boldness and a strength in my faith. You strengthened me. To encounter, to face, whatever it is that was before me. Think about that. Who is David anyway? I know, you know, we, we talked about how David was, you know, he was God's guy. But David had a right perspective of himself. Look, look down at verse 6. Notice what it says. He says, for, the Lord, for though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly but the haughty he knows from afar. I promise you, David has himself in the category of lowly. And not to say necessarily that, that David was saying, yeah, I'm I, I am, I am an example of humility, but to say, who am I? I, I'm, I? I'm too proud too often. David knows that he is Nothing. David knows that he has nothing to compel God to do something for him. And yet, God regarded him. God regarded him. In one sense, this is David's way of saying, I'm doing better than I deserve. You've probably heard the saying if you've been around here long enough. It can just be a canned statement, but it's not, hopefully. It's packed with theology. It's packed with the cross. It says, once I was a sinner running my hell-bound race with no way and no desire to turn my life around towards God. But God, being rich in mercy, through by grace, through faith, a gift, saved my soul and set my feet on solid ground Giving me the rock of Christ, who as David in this psalm says, will preserve my life to the end. I'm doing way better than I deserve, because I deserve destruction, and I am receiving heaven. I am lowly. I have nothing to give, and yet God regards me. And David here, he knows God regards him, in part. Because he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord heard him. Now, what were David's prayers that he's talking about in verse 3? What were the circumstances? David doesn't say. David doesn't say. God doesn't need you to know. He doesn't need me to know. Because they're really not part of the equation, right? They're really not part of the equation. David's circumstances are not part of what the point is here. The point is, God regards you. He treasures you. You call out to him, and he is faithful to answer. You ask for spiritual strength, and God gives it. You cry out for boldness, and God grants it. Acts 4. You you cry out for wisdom, and God gives it. James 1.5. God hears your prayers. He, He heard David cry out to him, and he answered him. And it's a reminder for us today and it should oh it should produce great praises to God. He hears your prayers. You have God's full undivided attention. When you call on him, he answers your prayers. When you call on him, he is never too Busy for you. He he is never uninterested in you. He is never running from you. Concerned that you will soil his reputation. (laughs) God hears and answers the prayers of his people. David says, I sing your praises because of that. Listen, I, 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 know, I know that we all have moments, situations when we wonder, God, do you hear my prayers? Are you there? Do you hear them? Let alone are you going to answer them? Maybe you're there right now. You have cried out to the Lord day and night. Maybe Maybe you were still shedding tears on the drive to church this morning. Lord, end my suffering. Heal my body. Restore that relationship. Provide a paycheck. And it seems like you're getting crickets from God. Abraham waited 25 years for God to give him that promised son. He wasn't messing with Abraham. He wasn't trying to figure it out. He was growing Abraham. (laughs) He was at work in Abraham. He heard Abraham's prayers and he was answering them in 10,000 different ways. Think about the Hebrew people in Egypt. 400 years in the wilderness. You know what Exodus 2 says? The end of Exodus 2, after describing the Hebrew people's plight, the slavery and the bondage, the hopelessness, it ends, just a couple verses, but it ends this way. The people groaned they cried out and god heard their prayers god knew god saw he was working he was raising up a man named moses he was at work answering there prayers god always hears your prayers and he always answers your prayers here's the kicker in his way and in his timing you can be sure of it he has set his eternal handset on you he will not abandon you he will not ignore you You are his child that he has promised to preserve to the end and he will be faithful to his word. Listen, I don't want us to be uninformed about the struggle here, okay? We tend to go, this is what happens, at least with me, right? When we get to that place where we begin to doubt, does God hear my prayers? Is he answering my prayers? The truth is, We tend to go to God with humble prayers, but too often a preferred way and timing that we are looking for. We want the answered prayer to look a certain way. We think we know what's best for us, and so we go to God and we pray, but we are looking for something in particular from God in a particular time frame. And when God doesn't meet our criteria, we accuse Him of ignoring us. We doubt the power of prayer that is so clear in Scripture. We doubt the loving kindness and the faithfulness the truthfulness of god and at that moment our fight for faith the boldness the strength we need is to resist doubting god and calling his character into question right it's a james 4 moment i want something And I don't get it, so I rage inside. And ultimately that rage is upward, not outward. And it's in that moment, it's in that moment that we must take our thoughts captive. To Christ, by filling our minds with the truth of God's loving kindness and faithfulness expressed in promises like God is always at work in me for my good even when I don't know what that work is when it began or will it will, when it will end and sometimes Sometimes the most significant answer to your prayer is not the disappearance of your trial but the spiritual strength to walk by faith with thanksgiving and praise to God in your situation as you wait on Him. That is the most profound expression of answered prayer. It is the mark, it is a mark of a mature believer David did not say in verse 138, or I'm sorry, in verse 3, on the day I called you, you answered me, my strength of soul you increased. Look down at verse 7. Though I walk in the midst of trouble. (laughs) David did not say in verse 3 that his situation was removed. He did not say that it was resolved. He merely said, I called on you and you answered me. How? You strengthened my soul. You lifted my eyes upward. And then verse 7, we learn he's still a man of sorrows. He's still walking in the midst of trouble. None of that has changed. I guarantee you a king's got a lot of troubles. (laughs) A lot of things weighing on his mind. So verse 7 just sounds like a more comprehensive declaration of verse 3. He still is surrounded, but he called out. I wonder if he just said, Lord, just grant me the grace to love you and trust you through this. I'm preaching out of this Bible this morning. It's my Bible from way back, way back, even before Pastor's College, and that was way back. (laughs) And on March 28th, 2019, I gave this Bible to my son, Brett, where I wrote the time, it was 9.25 a.m., March 28th, 2019, and I just wrote Calvin, Derek. They had just lost their first son, Calvin. He was in this world with them for 25 minutes. And it was Psalm 138 that my son said he was feasting on. He understood how lowly he was. He cried out to his God to strengthen his soul. And he trusted that God would fulfill his purposes for him. and he did, and he is, and he will. But see, that's David crying out to the Lord, Lord, nothing in this world can detract me from singing your praises. You are good, and you love me, though I am lowly. You love me. You're working all things for my good you have promised to preserve my life. Your right hand strengthens me, David says later on in this psalm. The hand of power, the hand of steadiness, the hand of sureness, the hand of assurance. That hand, you, you, you hold me up. Think back to all of God's faithfulness to you in the past. Will he not continue, Christian? Of course he will. He will, not because of how well you're following him, but because of who he is. And so you can be confident about your future. And your future is the third reason that, God, that David praises God with his whole being. For who God is, for what God has done, and for what God will do. Notice what he says in verse 8. He says, The Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Some, some scholars believe that Psalm 138 is David's response. I think it's a good argument. It's David's response to the great promise in 2 Samuel 7, where God promised David that he would establish his throne forever. And when you just look at the text, we didn't even talk about this, but but the mention of kings in the earlier verses, and just this grand declaration in verse 8, the Lord will fulfill his purposes for me, his purpose for me. I think it's a good argument that that this psalm is David's response to God's promise to him. And if it is, and if it is, then this psalm ends this grand declaration. David's confidence that, that though he is in the midst of trouble, God will fulfill his purpose for him. Well, we know, we know who's at the other end of that great promise in 2 Samuel 7. Who, how will God establish David's throne forever? Jesus. And verse 8 becomes a beautiful flashing neon arrow pointing us forward to Jesus the one in whom David's throne would be established forever. The one who became lowly but is now exalted by God, verse 6. The one who lived, bled, and died for your sins when you were yet his enemy, when you were haughty and proud toward him, even when you remain haughty and proud toward him even after your salvation, God preserves you. This verse 8 points us forward to the one who is, who just doesn't give us boldness and strength to follow the Lord, but who is our boldness, who is our strength when our flesh and our, and our faith fails this one is the one in whom we find our eternal and highest purpose in verse 8. David, perhaps David was just looking to his, to his legacy, that his his throne would be established forever. I think David was cued in a little bit more to God's purposes than that. Oh, but your purposes far exceed this world. When you watch the news, when you get on the internet, remember you are passing through. Your purpose does not belong here. Your purpose is not ultimately found here. Are we on mission to advance the gospel and share Christ with others? Yes. But it's all going somewhere. It does not end here. There is a glorious future waiting that God is preserving you for. It's in heaven. What it'll be like, I don't know. But whatever I could tell you it would be like, it will infinitely be better. That is your purpose in Christ Jesus. Verse 8 points us to the one who is the revelation and the ultimate expression of God's kindness and eternal faithfulness. What David, we can look back now and say, what God did for me at the cross transcends everything. And what he will do for me is to bring me to his throne where I will eternally sing his praises. And as we heard this morning, there's not a thing that can separate me. There's not a thing that can derail my, there are no off-ramps, there are no detours that can get me lost because the Spirit of God lives in me and is keeping me and is preserving me and is taking me to that moment where I see my Savior face to face. And so at the heart of our gratitude, at the heart of our uncontained praises, is Jesus himself. It's the heavenly throne. It's Jesus, though, who today says, come to me, all you who are weary, broken, suffering, desperate, despondent, at your wit's end, come to me. Come to me. In me, your sins are forgiven. They're as far as the east is from the west. In me, your righteousness is complete. There is nothing you need to do. In me, your name is written in the book of life. In my indelible blood. Come to me. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never let you go. I never lose a sheep that my Father gives me. Come to me. Come to me. I am my Father's Hesed to you. Come to me and know that I promise to finish the work that I began in you. I can have the worship team come up. Listen, we, we all have 10,000 reasons and more, don't we? For our hearts to be strengthened and filled with thankful praises to God today. We, we can never run out of reasons. In Christ, we can never run and we never will run out of reasons to worship God and they all begin where verse 8 points us to the gospel of Jesus Christ and what Jesus has done for you and what he is doing right now in you and for what he promises to do for you on that day usher you into the presence Of his holy father in joy and bliss. So, how do we respond? Well, I just want to take real quickly, go over 25 ways that you can be thankful. (laughs) There's a place for that, but not right now, not in this moment. Whether it's for the first time for your salvation. Or for the thousandth time, for your sanctification. We come to Jesus right now. We stand up. Would, would, would you stand up? We come to Jesus with our whole hearts. Forget about the person behind you, forget about the person in front of you. There's one person watching that matters Jesus, your Lord. And Savior, we come to him with our whole hearts, and we humbly acknowledge that we are lowly, that you, yet you have regarded us, you have given us these promises. and like David, we, we determine, despite our circumstances, not worried about what we look like, not worried about how we sound, not worried about what anybody thinks, to sing our Savior's praises. And here's why we have 10,000 and more reasons. Let me just give you three. Who he is, what he has done for you, and what he will do for you. Let's sing.